thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Cleveland Indians 10, the Kansas City Royals 1. The Cleveland Indians move back into a tie for first place in the American League Central with the Chicago White Sox, who lost last night to the Minnesota Twins. But if you think the Indians had a fun night scoring 10 runs, you should check out what happened in Colorado last night where the Giants put up 23 runs on the Rockies. So you think 10 runs was an offensive explosion. I can only imagine what it feels like to be a Giants fan this morning. But it's still a fun win for the Indians, and they move back into a tie for first place. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And now that the trade deadline has passed, the local sports media has moved back on to Brown season, but I'm still here to talk about baseball games. We're going to get into the details. How did the Indians do it? How did they put up 10 runs on 17 hits on the Kansas City Royals? Well, Number one, they were facing Matt Harvey. And number two, Fermil Reyes is red hot. He goes five for five on the day. Only one RBI in all that and two runs scored. He's got his average up to 323 with a 947 OPS. Uh, In classic form on yesterday's episode, I completely forgot to name my uh, MVP for a day. It was definitely Shane Bieber. Six innings, nine strikeouts, just to clear the air, just in case you weren't sure, because the Indians only had one run on six hits. It wasn't going to be anyone on their offense. Shane Bieber was definitely MVP for the day yesterday, and I'm going to get it out of the way early so I don't forget. Famil Reyes, definitely MVP for the day. He has a homer, two doubles, and two singles. He came a triple shy of hitting for the cycle, and that's something we will talk about at the end of the show. All right, so how did it all go down? What happened last night? Well, it started early against Matt Harvey, and Matt Harvey is not the pitcher he used to be. When he was pitching for the Mets early in his career, 2012, 2013, all the way through the 2015 season, this dude was one of the best pitchers in baseball. He was a first-round pick of the Mets, came up in 2012. His He only went 3-5 and five that season in 10 starts, but his ERA was 2.73. His FIP was 3.3, which is decent. Struck out 70, only walked 26. Then in 2013, it gets fun for him. He strikes out 191 batters in 178 innings, only walks 31. His ERA falls to 2.27. He's got a 2.0 FIP. Remember, FIP is fielding independent pitching. So these are all the things that the pitcher can control. has nothing to do with the defense behind him. His war that year, he brought 6.9 war to the team. Wins above replacement. So that's basically the amount of wins that he brought to the team based on his performance. So... He was an all-star that year. He was in contention for the Cy Young. He only went 9-5. and five. I guess the Mets did not have a great season that year if they couldn't support this kind of pitching. Comes back the next year, goes 13-8, and eight, has another great season. His ERA is a little bit higher, 2.71. His FIP is a little bit higher, 3.05, but still pretty dominant. 188 strikeouts to only 37 walks. Then things start to fall apart. 2016, 2017, it gets ugly. 
The ERA starts to climb. It's up to a 6.7 by 2017. 2018, they actually cut him loose, and he ends up in Cincinnati, and he starts a lot of games for Cincinnati. Does decent. Goes 7-9 and nine on the season. His ERA is back down to 4.94. His FIP is at 4.57. He's still at positive war. He's at 1.6 war, but it's not looking pretty. He plays for the Angels last year, and that's just ugly. His ERA is up at 7.09 with a 6.35 FIP. And now in three starts for the Kansas City Royals. And I love going to Fangraphs for this stuff because Fangraphs has it updated by the morning. Bleacher Report doesn't. He's 0-2 now. In seven innings pitched, he's up to a 15.43 ERA and a 12.86 FIP. My guess is that the Matt Harvey experiment might be done. The Royals need guys that can throw innings, but, I mean, Harvey doesn't last out of the second inning in this game. He goes 1.1, one into a third inning. Six hits, five earned runs, a walk, and no strikeouts with three home runs given up. So... I mean, that's it, it, the only point of bringing in a guy like Matt Harvey is just to eat innings and get you through the season when you're a rebuilding team like the Royals. I don't think it's going to work out. We'll see. Maybe they move him to the bullpen. Maybe, we, you know, maybe they'll find a spot for him. Cesar Hernandez gets it going with an infield single. Jose Ramirez pops out, and then Francisco Lindor. He was looked like he was jawing with the Royals dugout or giving them the, like, you know, keep talking thing with his hand. I Who knows what was going on there? But he uncorks a home run to right field. It feels like we've got a lot of home runs this season down the right field line, especially from our switch hitters. So he cranks one out. Again, Francisco Lindor, when he hits home runs, it's a nice, easy swing. He lets the bat and his hands do the work. That's what makes him so good. Jose Ramirez hits a home run way late in this game. Jose Ramirez, when he hits home runs, it's a powerful swing. He puts everything into it. Not saying one way or the other is right or wrong. It's just interesting the contrast. When Jose Ramirez gets a home run swing, he gets a home run swing. When Francisco Lindor does it, it looks so natural, so smooth. Um, So, yeah, so he gets another home run. I think all six of his home runs, they said, were from the left side of the plate. So another homer for him. And then for Miel Reyes, two batters later, he would get a pitch low and away. That wouldn't break out of the zone. I think that was part of the problem that Matt Harvey was having, that his slider had, like, no break to it. The one he throws to Roberto Perez in the next inning will be the same thing. It just didn't seem like it was really breaking. That horizontal movement wasn't there. And Fermil Reyes makes him pay, goes out to right center field, which, even though we've proved on this show, isn't necessarily where all his home runs are hit, definitely is when he's going that direction, he's more locked in as a hitter. So it's definitely something we want to encourage and want to continue to see from Fermio Reyes. So he gets a big home run to right center field. Hey, you know, in all these 10 runs scored, don't forget, this was Zach Plesak's return to the team. Now, everybody said the right things when Zach Plesak came back. You know, we're back to business. We're back to winning baseball games. You know, what's in the past is in the past now. So that's good. It's good to hear that uh, we're moving forward. They said the same things when Clevenger came up. Obviously, we know how that all turned out. Chernoff and Antonetti stick by their word that it had nothing to do with Clevenger going out while he was traded. I think, you know, one day Zach Meisel or Terry Pluto will write a book about it. You know, the night uh, <laughs> the night they went out in Chicago. I was about to say the night Chicago died. Great 70s song. 
But uh, yeah, the night they went out in Chicago, and we'll we'll get the true story on how this all went down and the things said in those team meetings. I know there's a book in there somewhere. But for now, Plesak is forgiven, and he was locked in last night. Plesak goes six innings. He gives up four hits, one earned run, no walks for Plesak last night, and six strikeouts. And I looked on fan graphs to see kind of how he was doing and if there was anything different in his performance last night. His fastballs were up. Now, that could just be the fact that Roberto Perez is back behind the plate. And I believe in some of his other performances, some of his other starts back in early August, he was probably throwing to Sandy Leone or I don't even remember the third guy we had, uh, Taylor, Bo Taylor, uh, because Roberto Perez was dealing with that arm issue. So Roberto Perez loves when the guys throw fastballs. So it could just be that Roberto Perez was calling for more fastballs. It was up to 42% fastballs. Everything else had been in the 30s. Uh, His slider was right around where he throws his slider, getting good usage out of his slider. Cut way down on the curveballs. He made it throw two or three curveballs here based on the percentages on the fan graphs. 3.3% of his pitches last night were curveballs, and the changeup was back up. He had, in his second start, he had thrown 34% changeups. He was back to 31% changeups last night. So, and the changeup was working for the strikeout. You could see it. You could see it. It tails away from those lefties, tails in on those righties. It's a good changeup. The speed difference he gets in it, the fastball sits about 93. The changeup sits high 86, 87. Um, so that's it. That's enough of a difference to really keep the hitters off balance. So that's how Plesak did it last night. And it was good because the Indians just kept hitting around him. So Plesak has a clean first. The Indians come back up. Josh Naylor gets his first hit as a Cleveland Indian. And then Roberto, Roberto Perez drives him in with a home run. Roberto Perez again got one of those sliders that didn't slide. And he drove it out. So it's good to see Roberto Perez locked in. Perez goes two for four with three RBIs last night and a run scored. Austin Hedges would eventually come in to catch for him once this game got out of control. Fun fact about Austin Hedges. I don't think they've repainted his catching helmet yet. I would have just assumed that the catching helmets belong to the team, right? He showed up last night. He came in the game. I'm like squinting at the TV like, am I seeing this right? And sure enough, he had that brown and mustard Padres colored catching helmet last night. So apparently these catching helmets are personalized. I I mean, I don't know. Maybe like the hockey goalies helmets, you know, it's their helmet. So uh, he was catching last night in the Padres helmet. Maybe when he gets back to Cleveland, we'll have to see. I think they're coming home after this Kansas City series. Yeah, they are to play Milwaukee on Friday night. So we'll see if uh, his uh, catching helmet gets a new paint job once he gets back to Cleveland. All right, after after the Perez home run, they just kept piling on Harvey. Delano DeShield singles. Cesar Hernandez reaches on a fielder's choice. Jose Ramirez walks, and that would be it for Matt Harvey. He's replaced by Carlos Hernandez, who is making his Major League debut. I think they said, and let's double check this. Yeah, Carlos Hernandez has not pitched above A ball, full season A ball. He's only been in the system for... uh, for he's been in the system for three years. So he started in rookie ball in 2017. In 2018, he played a full in full season A ball. 
And then it looks like in 2019, he went back to the rookie leagues and then came back up to A-ball. So this guy has not pitched above A-ball, and he looked pretty good last night. His line on the day, he goes three and two-thirds, two hits, no earned runs, a walk, and two strikeouts. He gets Francisco Lindor to fly out the center for his first major league out, and then he gets Carlos Santana to line out the center. And that's how his career starts. He gets Matt Harvey out of a jam and gets two outs. So we shall see if this guy, I mean, if this guy sticks around, it'll be a pretty incredible story. He's 23 years old, so not absurdly young for a rookie. So uh, we'll see. If he makes that leap from A-ball, rookie ball and A-ball, all the way to the majors without pitching in the minor leagues ever again, that would be a pretty incredible story. So he actually shuts the Indians down. The Indians, after they score those five runs, are kind of in cruise control mode. They don't put another run on the board until the sixth inning. There were some fun moments for Zach Plesak throughout those uh, early innings. He gets two strikeouts in the bottom of the third. Like I said, that he got into that breaking ball and that changeup to really start striking guys out. Once he got ahead, he was going to that changeup to get guys out. In the bottom of the fifth, he gets saved by some good defense from the Indians last night, who seemed to play pretty solid defense all around. Uh, Francisco Lindor had some good plays at shortstop. Josh Naylor had a nice running catch in left field. And this was probably the defensive highlight of the game. And it's, it's hard, right? Defensive stats don't show up in the box score. It's hard for us to talk about it sometimes. But there's so much else going on with the pitching and hitting. But in the fifth inning, he starts it off by getting Michael Franco to fly out. Ryan McBroom grounds out, but then Nicky Lopez singles, Bubba Starling singles. Uh, it was a ball that Jose Ramirez, it was amazing he even got to and tried to throw across his body. He just couldn't. He had to take too many steps towards the dugout and just couldn't get anything on the throw. So Bubba Starling gets a runner into scoring position. Now, we've still got a big lead here, so we're not too concerned. But, you know, we want Plesak to continue pitching a shutout. He's pitching great. And... Villarreal comes up and he crushes one out to right field. And just like a night ago when we were talking about Luplo going back on a ball and it looked awkward, it looked really bad, but I'm guessing Luplo thought he was going to catch the ball the whole time. Same situation with Tyler Naquin here. Tyler Naquin does turn and run a little bit this time. You know, it was it seemed like a harder hit ball than the ball hit to Luplo. So Naquin has to turn and burn, but he gets back and then he squares his shoulders again. He's able to get around and get the glove up and snag this line drive. Zach Plesak was pumped up. He threw his fist in the air, giving him a long distance fist bump and the Indians get out of the jam. So that was huge, big defensive play for the Indians. Then in the sixth inning, we get back on this on the uh, scoreboard here. After Roberto Perez pops out, Delano to shield singles on a wild pitch. He moves to second. Cesar Hernandez grounds out, so now there's two outs, a two-out RBI situation, and Jose Ramirez singles on a ground ball to Whit Merrifield. Delino to shield scores, and then Jose Ramirez actually gets himself caught in a rundown. Same thing has happened uh, in St. Louis, where he just was kind of floating off the bag for some reason. If you're not going to go, Jose Ramirez, just go back to the bag. Just get, He's like waiting in case something happens and he might be able to take off and sneak and get another base. Just go back to the bag. You got the RBI. You did your job. It's 6 nothing Indians. Instead, he gets caught in a rundown and he's tagged out. 
Plesak would come back in to pitch the sixth. He was pitching great. Hunter Dozier, unfortunately, got him. Got him on a fastball that just came right back over the middle of the plate. And Dozier drives it out to right field. Naquin wasn't coming out with this one. He puts it into the bullpen for Kansas City's only run of the game. They did have seven hits, but... You know, they weren't able to do with it. They were 0 for 3 with runners in scoring position. They left six guys on base. On base, They only had two extra base hits. Franco had a double and Dozier's home run. How'd the Indians do on all that? They were actually only 2 for 10 with runners in scoring position. And they left 9 on base. Now, that's team left on base. If you actually look at the left on base per batter, Because multiple batters could leave the same guy on base. So that's why the team left on base is only nine. If you look at the box score per batter, they actually left 18 guys on base. And that's just a symptom of when guys are hitting. They had 17 hits. Not everybody's going to come around to score. So that number looks terrible. But I, it's, I think it's just a symptom of a really good night at the play for the Indians where everybody was hitting and getting on base. So when an inning ended, yeah, there were a lot of guys on base when an inning ended. I'm surprised it's only two for 10 with runners in scoring position. With all that offense, they were only two for 10 with runners in scoring position. They did have two out RBIs from Naylor, from Famille Reyes, from Roberto Perez, and from Jose Ramirez. So a bunch of two out RBIs, which is encouraging. I guess those multi-run home runs must have come with a guy at first base instead of second base. So it doesn't count as a hit with runners in scoring position if the guy's on first base. I know uh, Josh Naylor comes around a score here in a minute from first base. So that would be a situation where, yeah, it's not a hit with runner in scoring position, but it does score a run. Here's another example in the seventh inning. Carlos Santana singles. Fermil Reyes doubles. Dude was locked in. Carlos Santana goes to third. This was Fermil Reyes' second double. And it felt like the one where he had a chance for the cycle. And he even made the big turnaround second base. I think in the back of his head, he knew that this could be the triple for the cycle. Unfortunately, they had to hold Carlos Santana at third. And they, if, if nobody was on base, I bet he goes. If Carlos Santana isn't running in front of him, I bet he goes. And he just, even if he's thrown out, he's like, I'm going to go for the cycle. But unfortunately, they had to hold Santana, which holds him at second. And then Tyler Naquin comes in and during his at-bat has to suffer through a rain delay. It was just a quick downpour that they had to cover the field for. He comes back up, falls in the count Odin 2, but he's able to get a fly ball out to left field that sack fly scores Carlos Santana. So again, it's not a hit with runners in scoring position, but it does bring in the run. And then Josh Naylor is able to single and bring Fermil Reyes in to score. Josh Naylor gets his first RBI as a Cleveland Indian. He went two for five last night with an RBI, two runs scored. His average is up to 286 on the season, 723 OPS. Obviously, most of that was done with the Padres, but that's an outfielder hitting 286 for the Indians. So I think we will all take that as an upgrade over Greg Allen, over Domingo Santana, and even over Luplo. Roberto Perez, man, they really piled on in the seventh. Roberto Perez then follows that up with a double. Roberto Perez with another extra base hit, and that scores Naylor. And now it's 9-1 to one Indians to end the inning. The, uh, that would be all for Zach Plesak. He did no need for him to come back after the rain delay when we have such a big lead. Plesak had a great night. 
Plesak had already thrown 90 pitches on the night, 62 for strikes, so there was no reason for uh, for him to stay out there. And Dominic Leone is able to get the job done. Jose Ramirez hits another home run in the top of the eighth. That makes it 10 to 1, and he just got a ball in the sweet spot. It was uh, it was from the right side of the plate. It was right down the middle, and he cranked it out to left field. And that would be uh, your final. Now, uh, the last notable thing in this game is that Cal Quintrill came in to pitch for the Indians, our new relief pitcher. And Sandy Alomar said, you're going to see this guy in high leverage situations. Obviously, last night was not a high leverage situation, but it was a situation where they're like, let's get all our Padres players in there and see what we got. Austin Hedges comes in to catch. Did he come in to catch because he knows Cal Quintrell or just because they wanted to get him out there? Either way, he brings his brown and mustard helmet out to catch. And I'm watching Quintrill. I didn't get to like lock in on every pitch he was throwing, um, mostly because I was just playing with the dog last night on the floor. But he seemed to be, he seemed to pitch pretty well. Um, his line on the night was two innings, two hits, two strikeouts. Nothing seemed overpowering. Last night, he was throwing the same pitches that he threw for uh, the Padres. 53% fastball, 40% slider, and 6% changeup. So it seemed like mostly a fastball-slider combo. It'll be interesting to see if that changes, right? I I don't think we're really going to know what Cal Quintrell can be until next season until, you know, an off-season program where maybe Ruben Nieble says, hey, instead of throwing the four-seamer, throw the two-seamer. Hey, let's mix in a cutter or something like that. You know, it'll be interesting to see if when he comes back next season or even late in September, if he's throwing the same pitches. Do the guys out there in the bullpen, does Phil Mayton and Karen Shek and Brad Hand, you know, talk with him and work with him and maybe develop him into a dominant reliever. They think some of the reporters out there think that he could end up back as a starter. Maybe even early early as next season, he could compete for a starting spot in the rotation. Who knows? Uh, Who knows what the trajectory of him will be? I think that there's a lot of potential, whether it's in the bullpen or starting for Cal Quintrell. I mean, so nothing eye popping last night, but he does pitch pretty solid to end the eighth in the ninth inning and get the win. Strikeout to end the game for Quintrill, and that's how he gets. It's not a save, but that's how he ends the game. So, Plesek is your winner. Matt Harvey gets the loss. That is how it went down last night. Unfortunately, Fermil Reyes, our MVP for the day, was not able to get the cycle. If Carlos Santana was in front of him, maybe. The last Indian to get the cycle was actually Jake Bowers. Do you remember that Bowers game against the Tigers? That one was actually pretty exciting because he ended it with the home run. Whenever you end it with one of the big ones, that is always exciting. And uh, Hamilton's call on that one was great because Bowers crushed it out to right field against the Tigers. Rajay Davis did it against Toronto in 2016. He did, I think he might be the only Indian to do the reverse cycle. He started with the home run then the triple, then the double, and the single to end things out. And uh, it was a game the Indians lost. It's weird when a guy hits for a cycle and you still lose. 
but he got a big ovation from the Toronto crowd. Apparently, the Indians players love doing this on the road because Travis Hafner was the next one in 2003, and Hafner is one I will never forget. This one was in Minnesota, in Minnesota's old stadium with the big blue tarp out there in right field. He crushed his home run over the tarp. It was a moonshot. And then uh, he actually got his double and his single basically on infield hits. He check-swinged his double. It was a bouncer up the middle that just snuck underneath the glove of the infielder and just rolled out into center field, and he got a hustle double out of it. It was a check-swing. His single was a chopper. He chopped it off the plate, and by the time it came down, he was safe at first, and the throw was wide, so he actually went to second on the error. And then the triple, he is last at bat. He lines it out into right center field. And there was no doubt about it in his mind. The minute he made contact with his ball, he was going for three. He could have been thrown out by a mile, but he was going for the cycle, for the triple. And he slid in headfirst safe. And I remember being like so pumped up that someone like Travis Hafner, Pronk. Remember Pronk? God, he was fun. Someone like him could come all the way around and get a triple. It was really cool to see. And that was the last cycle for the Indians for a long time. If you go back into Indians history, the next one is Andre Thornton in 1978. Tony Horton in 1970. Larry Doby had one in 1952. Odell Hale in 38. Earl Averill in 33. And Bill Bradley in 1903 had the first cycle in Indians history. Now, if you want to know what team hits for the most cycles, who's got the most in their history, it is the San Francisco Giants. They've had 26 cycles throughout their history. Obviously, a long-storied career, going all the way back to their first one in 1885 from Dave Orr. You guys remember him, right? Dave Orr, 1885? Sure. Uh, The A's have had a lot. The Red Sox have had a lot. The poor Marlins... The poor Marlins have not had a cycle hit in their entire franchise history. They did steal the World Series. Oh, they didn't steal the World Series from us. They beat us in the World Series, unfortunately. Um, So they've got two World Series wins under their belt, but they have not had a cycle hit. If you know any Marlins fans, ask them about this. Maybe, Maybe this will be the year the Marlins finally do it and someone finally hits for the cycle. I think they should make that a team goal because... Come on, that's pretty embarrassing, guys. No one in your franchise history has ever hit for the cycle. So uh, there's some fun cycle stats for you, and we're still on cycle watch. Uh, I mean, our last one was in 2019, so it hasn't been too long. It's not like the gap between Andre Thornton and Travis Hafner, but who knows? It can happen any day. Pay attention. We'll see when the next Indians player hits for the cycle. All right, that's all my thoughts on the game last night. It was a fun game. Uh, It feels like when the Indians hit, it comes in bunches. When it rains, it pours. And last night, it literally rained. And it was pouring hits for the Indians. 17 hits for the Indians last night. They moved back into tie for first place. Tomorrow, it is going to be Tristan McKenzie. It's another nighttime start. It's another 8.05 start. It'll be Tristan McKenzie going against Junis. For the Kansas City Royals, I don't know anything about him. We will find out. Jacob Junis. It looks like he's been pitching for them since 2017. So 
We shall see what he's got. He's got to face the young phenom Tristan McKenzie for the Indians. McKenzie going for the second win of his career. Remember, he got a no decision in his last start. So that will be a fun one. Everyone get ready for the game tonight. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Kansas City. It's the Indians 10, the Kansas City Royals 1. We'll be back tomorrow to cover the Tristan McKenzie game. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show, Mornings at gmail.com. You can call into the show on the Anchor app at anchor.fm forward slash Mornings. And the show is now on iHeartRadio. So if you listen to us on a different app or something like that. If you're an iHeartRadio fan, we have got the show live now in the podcast section on iHeartRadio. Go check it out if that's where you listen to stuff. Also, if you're one of our iTunes listeners, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, I don't even think iTunes is a thing anymore. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, do me a favor, help out the show. Go give me a five-star rating if you enjoy the show. It's up to you. Go rate the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. It'll help continue to grow the show. Leave a review if you have time. But even if you don't, just go click the stars really quick. So you can message me in all those ways, Twitter, email, or call into the show. I'll respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.